1: You know, there's been uh, a ton of activity talks and reports over the past couple of years on this group. What I realized is this was an amazing story and no one's really told it from start to finish.
0: That's John DiMaggio. He's chief security strategist at Analyst One. The research we're discussing today is titled A History of Our Evil.
1: We really don't have a lot of good examples of ransomware groups where you could do sort of a use case that would show the cradle-to-grave lifecycle of, of an attacker. And and I, I felt like this was going to be perfect for it, um, which is sort of what led me down the road to, uh, to to write this content.
0: Well I have to say it is a, a real page-turner, even for those of us who've been you know following along, to, to have it all sort of laid out here. It is quite compelling. Let's go through it together here, and let's begin where you do, which is – Our Evil's origin story, where did they begin?
1: Yes, so the beginning of Revil was really interesting because originally, uh, you know, we got this wrong. But the group actually started out uh, with with another ransomware gang called Gancrab. And Gancrab was also a very well-known group that went away um, right as our Evil began. And during that that process, when they transitioned over, there was sort of a window. And the two groups, one, would communicate and, and talk and forums together. There was a lot of, of sort of marketing between one another, and it was very clear there was a relationship between the two. And as GanCrab exited the scene and posted their retirement message, uh, immediately, Our Evil began to recruit their affiliates uh, and begin their own attack with their own payload. What was really interesting about that is during that first attack, that was the first notable attack that we ever saw using R evil. The hackers that were on network actually doing the attack dropped both a R evil payload, which is known as known as Sodin OK EB. Uh, it's a mouthful, and uh, they were also dropping the GandCrab payload, which is also same name as the group. It's just called GandCrab. Um, but that showing that they had access to both. In addition to this relationship, we were seeing. On the forums, there was also some strong technical relationships between the two. The most notable is there was a string in it where a developer string in the PDB string that actually said uh, GC6 and GC, obviously, you could figure out the initials GANCRAB. Well, the last version of of code for GANCRABs payload was, had, had the same string, but it was GC5. So that and, and some of the, the ways that it documented their campaign IDs and their affiliates and things of that nature, just a number, I won't get too far in the weeds, but there was quite a few technical similarities that I was like, mm-hmm. okay, this came from the same developer. There's some shared code. Um, a, a lot of this is, is, is very common between the two. So we as, as researchers and analysts in the community as a whole sort of accepted that GAN crowd didn't really retire. They just evolved and rebranded. We found out that was not the case. So it started with uh, an interview where someone asked them, hey, what's your name? Uh, researchers are calling you soda Ebi. And, and they just didn't like that name and said, hey, we're going to get back to you. And when that happened, they, that's where they came back and they said, okay, you know, we want to be known as our evil. And later in an interview, cause these guys did interviews, which I thought was really interesting and yeah. made them accessible. Um, they talked about that origin story. I'm sorry, the origin, the background of that name. And it actually came from a video game, resident evil. Um, so this was short for ransom evil. And it, so, so just that sort of background was interesting during that same interview, um, with the Revil operator, um, they also went and talked about how they began and said, no, you know, guys got, got it wrong. We actually were an affiliate. And when GANCRAB went away, uh, I don't know if they purchased or acquired, but they approached the GANCRAB operator and they, they that's how they acquired the payload that was then developed into Sodan OKEB. I think they got the source code and, and developed, bought the source code and developed it themselves, but we don't know. It could have been developed for them. But there were multiple iterations throughout the years of Sodan OKEB, meaning they obviously had their own developers that were working on this. The two were very close together, like I said, but one was an affiliate, did the hacking and they sort of switched roles, became a provider themselves and moved forward uh, in their their attacks as, as we know it over the past you know two two and a half years.
0: Yeah one of the things that you point out in the research here is mm-hmm. that for uh, an organization like are able to succeed, they have to be successful gathering affiliates. And and that was part of the the, the effort that they had in their startup phase here. Can you take us through how they went about doing that and, and where they were successful there?
1: Yeah. Well, um, well I'll give you whether well, they're their successful. And I'll tell you where they weren't because it's yeah. actually um, a bit interesting there. And there's some, some good things to learn. So when they, when they first, again, when they first came out, they they just hit the same forums that Gancrab used to recruit, um, to recruit their affiliates. And they, they went and they looked and they, they were looking for a limited amount of affiliates. And from some of the affiliates that I was able to, um, uh, actually talk to, uh, about, um, their activity with it, there was actually a number of them that, that would got into the actual interview process. And most of us thought when there's teams of affiliates, these are guys that already know each other teams of three or four guys. Well, in this case with, with our evil, that wasn't the case. They were interviewing candidates one by one. Uh, they wanted to make sure that they weren't, you know, actually, you know, spies or snitches or things like that. So they would ask them about Russian folklore, things that that at least the our evil operators believed you could not find via the internet or Google or things like that, um, things that only a true, you know, Russian native would actually know. So they tried to eliminate by asking folklore-based questions. It's almost like a trivia, kind of funny, um, and they would use use, um, they'd use a secure chat thing called talks, and they'd sort of be in this, this, this session. And they would, once they got past that initial, the folklore vetting, they would ask them technical questions, engage them. And then they would pick, when they were done, they would pick um, the, the, the individuals they thought would make a good team. And then they closed out recruitment. Okay. So let's say that you know they had their pool they created their teams those individuals were told hey you're going to have to split this money the proceeds we'll give you um, 70% of our proceeds and each of these individuals will get uh, get this split up equally that's how it started by the end they didn't control who did what or how much money was cut but in the end they really, really tried to control that and, um, they, they, they had success at the beginning, but they also were not getting, um, the, the big fish that they wanted. And there were some very, very public failures that they had and, about a year later, they went sort of on a second recruitment phase. This recruitment phase was much more detailed. So in the earlier one, they were just looking for people basically that could answer these questions, make it through the interview that they felt would be good. And the second one, the differences you can see are notable because they list all these specific requirements that they want before anybody even applies for it. And in it, there were really interesting things uh, that I had never even seen before, stuff like using a voice modulator, being able to speak English because they don't want anybody who's not a true Russian. Uh, being able to speak English you know, we've never, or I've never seen where they're actually talking to victims. It's usually done over a a chat portal. And I've, uh, I've been lucky enough to have, you know, victims call me before and and let me help them um, in some of their um, IR investigations where I've gotten to actually observe sort of the chat negotiation. And and again, it's always been over a portal or over email. It's never been over the phone. So obviously there was probably some cases where they did talk to them or the desire to talk over the phone since they had that. And clearly, Speaking English, and they realized was something that is important. So they sort of changed that direction that they went. And by the time this sort of second recruitment phase came along, the U.S. had been a much much larger target for them at this point. Um, it almost that was when we started to get personal, where they started to get angry, and you know, the, first it was with President Trump, then it was with President Biden, and the back and forth, and and you know, gloves off, and, and things got nasty on both sides. But yeah, the 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 last piece I want to say about that affiliate recruitment is uh, on the first phase, they deposited a hundred. Hundred to one hundred and thirty thousand um, dollars across the forums. Sort of, um, you, you can almost buy. This isn't the right wording for it, but street credibility by you get different levels in these forums, and by putting larger deposits, you show you're a more serious player. And there's money to be made. But just to give you an idea how much they grew in that that year, and that second recruiting effort, they deposited a million dollars. So big step up really showing hey we're going to make money and they wanted to get the attention of the of the the key players for affiliates you know sort of the best you know hackers if you will to come work for them and, and that was sort of the seeing them grow and seeing those recruiting ads and those requirements change and showing okay we're really serious you could just you could just watch it progress um, so those are the two main core uh campaigns that i saw to recruit i'm sure there were more but those were the forums that i was able to find them on and some of the chats that i was able to to, to to see them uh, with, but I'm sure there were more that I didn't see, uh, but the, I thought I got a pretty good, pretty good snapshot of how it works with, with just that. Can you
0: take us through how they handled uh, infrastructure and, and, you know, assembling the tools that were going to be the core of their operations?
1: Yeah, so they, all right. There's a couple pieces to this. So uh, they have what they call their happy blog, which is a name and shame slash data auction site. So they use it to post victims information to shame them, and they use it to leak their data. At the same time, they also use it to auction off that data. Basically, it, it's, it's an auction where the victim has first rights to buy. And obviously, they want them to buy because they're going to pay the most money for it. If they don't, though, they will auction it off to the highest bidder in the criminal, uh, criminal world. So that piece of their infrastructure they host on the dark web within that, they also have a chat portal. That chat portal is accessed uh, when a, when a ransom payload goes off on a victim, they have a specific key that's in their ransom note that they have to paste in. And that key takes them to their own unique chat session on the chat portal that they have. Now, there is a both a dark web uh, version of it, and there is one that you can access, via, was one that you could access via the traditional internet. So in other words, they wanted, originally wanted everything in the dark web, but I think they realized they needed to make things easier for people to pay. So they made a, a version of it that would be on the uh, the traditional internet. Same with their decryptor site, if you will. And a lot of these were tied together, but um, but the, they would have a second version, again, that you could access via the regular internet. And then things would get taken down and they would stand them back up may just be another version of it. But, but those were the, the three components, sort of was the, the data auction, um, the chat portal, and the decryption. That was the, the main pieces to, the, to their puzzle um, of what they used for their infrastructure uh, as it varied over time.
0: And, and I suppose for a, a group of, of this uh, scale, getting uh, access to bulletproof hosting, if you will, is, is fairly routine
1: it is fairly routine you know it, it's one of those things where they're going to go with whatever is going to be the most you know secure product that's going to be the hardest to take down and is going to give them the ability to, for their infrastructure to withstand takedowns. Obviously, I don't think they expected an entire government to use all of its resources to get behind a takedown. But for our normal takedowns, law enforcement, sending a subpoena, you know, warrant, whatever it is, there are certain vendors and technologies that make it more difficult for that to take place. And that's obviously where bad guys gravitate to.
0: You know, one of the things you point out in your research here is that um the r evil gang were unusually communicative with uh, with media, you know, um, making themselves available for conversations, for inquiry were Was there an unusual a, a unique amount of um of swagger that these folks had or or were they more businesslike?
1: No, there was absolute swagger. I mean, this was ego across the board. So their favorite reporters to talk to um, was is, it was a bleeping computer evil we, well, that was not just them. That's like for whatever reason, that's where ransomware guys um, go to talk. And so you know, I I, I used them as, as a great resource because there was so much information there that um, that we had because the bad guy felt comfortable talking with them. And you know, but in in their messages, there was messages. That they posted there. And there was also messages that they would post through their own site and on forums and things of that nature. But point being is the one consistent theme that we had is they would love the challenge authority and they just felt like they were untouchable. I mean, let's think about this. They had that affiliation with DarkSide and when DarkSide got taken down and could no longer be their own voice and talk, these guys with all that heat on them, it was our evil that got up there and decided to speak on their behalf. I mean, that just goes to show that they had no fear. And for a, a short time, they had put sort of a, a stop on attacking you know, critical U.S. infrastructure when when things first happened. And then within days of, of that, when um, the Biden administration sort of said, hey, we're now taking ransomware as a national threat, we're going to put together um, a lot of resources to come after you, our, our evil got out there and was like, okay. Gloves are off. We're taking those restrictions out. We're going to specifically come and target you now, At, which was just insane to to make yourself even more of a target. And and I think that was really what was the beginning beginning of the end for them. But it was an ego driven thing. It was a hey, I need to be in the spotlight. Hey, you know, I'm going to fight authority, and you you know, you can't tell us this, and we're going to come after you for that. And it was just if they had been uh, humble, quieter, and and just uh, more selective on their targets, they'd probably still be making. You know, hundreds of millions of dollars today in in the safety of Russia. Uh, But instead, because of that voice, that spotlight, and sort of celebrity mentality that they got, uh, it just made them such a target. It led to their downfall. One of the key reasons, anyway.
0: Yeah. You know, you mentioned Darkseid, and and it seems to me like a real turning point in in this story arc is when Darkseid hits Colonial Pipeline.
1: Yeah, that's definitely um, a key story. You know, I refer to it uh, in, in my research paper. I refer to it as sort of their their sidekick that screwed everything up because that's really what it what it is. It, it it was their sidekick. It wasn't our evil that went and hacked into a pipeline, shutting down gas. It was dark side and dark side it had a similar story as our evil. They began as an affiliate to our evil and they spun off into their own group and our evil uh, in some way helped them with their payload. Cause there were so many similarities between the two. And then they were the voice of them when things went down and they weren't the only group. There was another group Pr- Prometheus that just didn't have the same level of attention that on their website put, you know, um, that they were an affiliate or a spinoff group from our evil. So they were almost like they were franchising and having these other groups Go out, and they were sort of making their own empire. But back to what you said about um, Dark Side, yeah. So Dark Side, yeah, they screwed everything up for them. They did this. They they got all this attention. They obviously didn't realize what they were doing at the time, because there's no way anybody would do this intentionally if they knew how it was gonna all the attention it was gonna get and how it was going to turn out. Because it, it literally crippled them, and they lost all the money that they gained when the U.S. government came out after them and emptied their Bitcoin wallet. So. At the end of the day, it just wasn't worth it, caused a lot of attention, caused a lot of trouble, and led to also the banning of discussing ransomware on a lot of the forums that these guys lived on, and more importantly, the forums they recruited on. And when you make it harder to recruit, that directly affects business. So all of it sort of stemmed from dark side screwing up is where everything started to change and go the opposite direction for our evil.
0: Well, let's go through the ultimate undoing then. I mean, as we say, this it seems like Darkseid was sort of the catalyst, but uh, it was downhill from there.
1: Yeah, yeah. Darkseid definitely started it and our and evil finished it. So it was in May on the forums and, you know, a lot of researchers, not just me, um, saw, saw this. Um, I think it was Advanced Intel uh, that, that first reported it, but there was in May... There was an affiliate who there's a process of when, when, an, when a hacker on these forums uh, gets sort of screwed out of money or buys a service and they don't get it or whatever it is where you can request arbitration, where, as I told you, you could put down these Bitcoin deposits on the forum. Arbitrator will come in and look at the case. You'll have to send in logs or evidence to support your side. And then they make a decision. If they decide you were wronged, they'll give you money from that pool of of, of the deposit. Well and, if, and if, that doesn't, if there isn't money and you don't do it, they get kicked off the forum and their reputations and, is hurt, and that's something that most of these criminals really care about. Well, they, w- what happened with that is one of the affiliates posted this in May, and it didn't get a lot of attention, and they did post all the evidence publicly, which they don't always do. Uh, a lot of other um, ransomware criminals in this community were upset that they did post it publicly, but it gave us as researchers a lot of cool information. I really thought they were going to get awarded the money. They didn't. The arbitrator uh, sided with our evil, but what was interesting is our evil made a large deposit to that forum a week after the arbitrator uh, weighed in their favor. Whether or not that was, you know, buying them out or not, I don't know. But I thought it was interesting timing. Um, but the reason this May uh, event was was important is because in September, um, so several months later in September, that's where I was saying that com- the company um, Advanced Intel, um, those guys do great work, and they actually found a backdoor in the attackers' malware. So it was it was a backdoor designed to double-cross the affiliate who's working for the provider. So our evils affiliates were the ones infected with this backdoor, not not the, the, the victim. So that's what, where the double-cross comes in that makes it so interesting. Bad guys use a user panel to manage their attack, and they have sort of their own software that's part of the um, the, the Revil infrastructure and payload. And within this, they installed the backdoor so that they could have sort of a double chat. They could watch and view the affiliate negotiating and talking with the victim. And what they would do is if it looked like the affiliate was going to pay, they sort of interrupted that that, that session, making it look like the victim just backed out and decided not to pay. And then they stepped in and the, the, the victim just sees the chat portal. They don't they don't know that it's somebody else behind it now. So now they're talking to them, now they're going to pay and they give them the instruction to pay. And now instead of paying the affiliate 70% of let's say a $10 million ransom, they keep the whole thing for themselves and just say, yeah, sorry, I I guess these guys didn't pay. Better luck next time. Um, yeah. And this kept happening over and over again. And and this once this came out and and they put the the technical analysis out there. Bad guys started doing their own analysis and posting, uh, finding more things and posting all of this at the you know the binary analysis level on these forums and and demanding that Reevol explain what they did. And people were calling the names. And it's just I mean their reputation was just done. People were pulling out left and right. Nobody wanted. to work with them. And the most interesting part though, Revol stayed. They could have been quiet, they could have disappeared. They stayed and they, they adamantly argued that they did not do this, that it isn't what happened. And I always thought that was interesting because if they really didn't put this back door in, then then who did and you know Hmm. the only other person i could think of it would have to have been like a major you know government or intelligence agency that's some conspiracy theory stuff but the whole community (laughs) believes our evil did it but i'm just saying if they didn't and it was a government that would be ingenious because you know you're not going to arrest them because they're protected in russia what's the best next best way to get rid of them kill their credibility so i i think that's a really cool um you know secondary story if if we ever found out that they really did put the back door in. But I thought it was so interesting that they stuck, they hung in there adamantly to the very end, claimed that they did not do this. And there was no denying in the code that it was there. Um, So yeah, community does believe though that it was that they did do it to screw screw these guys.
0: Yeah, no honor among thieves, right? Right,
1: exactly. Yeah, it's hard (laughs) to feel bad for you, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Now, ultimately,
0: uh, the story kind of ends with uh, law enforcement knocking on some people's doors, how did that play out?
1: Well, so there are two parts to it. Uh, in November, when the U.S. Uh, conducted uh, or issued indictments, um, the only doors that got knocked on were ones that were outside of Russia. So we, we got some affiliates in the Ukraine. There was another affiliate in Russia that, uh, you know, his name was in, in picture were, were, were given, but they couldn't touch him, and Russian government wouldn't help. But with the um, President Biden going to Vladimir Putin in Geneva when they met in in July and saying, "Hey, we need I we need help with this, or we're going to have to act." Basically, maybe not quite the same wording, but it's basically what he asked for. Uh, what, what we found here is, you know, these they finally gave came in and gave us a hand. I was shocked, but when I heard about it, but yeah, the FSB night raids—they kicked in twenty-five doors, arrested fourteen people. In Russia, we still don't know the full fallout of it, whether there's speculation they were developers, others speculate they're the core members, but regardless, it's a much bigger hit than it was when they just arrested guys outside of Russia. But more importantly, regardless of who the specific players were within the gang they got arrested – it was that message that was just sent of, hey, Russia is no longer protecting you, and that was huge. And for the first time ever, I saw the conversation change where people were concerned and talking about, hey, this isn't worth it if I'm going to go to jail. Like we're concerned if we're not protected by Russia anymore. Unfortunately, I don't think that's going to stick because of the tension with with the U.S. right now with uh, Russia with invading the Ukraine. And if things get worse and we do become advers- full on adversaries again, you know, they'll, I- I'm sure they'll they'll be the open door again to have at it and keep targeting the u.s but but regardless it's the first time where we've seen sort of even if it's psychological impact an impact on russian-based ransomware attackers where they're second thinking uh what they're going to do i just i had never seen that before and it really surprised me yeah so that's a win for us regardless of how long it lasts that's a win for us it's a step in the right direction
0: yeah, I, I would imagine even just uh, shaking up their confidence. You know, the operators' confidence Absolutely. over there that perhaps they're not as uh, bulletproof as they they thought they were. Uh, that's a good thing. the The narrative of this story is you know a good enough for a, a Hollywood feature. And and uh, I, I have to say, I, I laughed out loud. Uh, one of the things you point out in in your write up is the only thing missing is a good car chase. And I, I wonder when yeah. Hollywood eventually does make the story. Will they figure out a way to put one in there?
1: Uh, <laughs> well, well, here, here's the good thing, Dave. When they arrested these guys, there was over 20 um quote unquote premium cars that were uh, that were taken. So so we've got you know it, if it's if we say based on a true story, we've got the cars. We've got right. the bad guys. So let's <laughs> just throw a good car chase in there and make it perfect because this this really was such an interesting interesting story. It literally could be a movie. You know, it really could be.
0: Yeah. What do you take away from this? I mean, having gone through the exercise of really digging into the details here and laying it out from start to finish, how do you think this informs where we go from here?
1: Yeah, I I think one of the things that we really need to do to prevent this is find a way to not just try and stop them from a technical means. Um, We need to find ways to get into sort of these communities, law enforcement, to get into these communities, um, even if we're, let's say that we're able to to break into sort of the the places where they recruit affiliates and things like that, even if we're not successful in, in gaining access to the gang by doing that, just by making it harder and more difficult to find affiliates and to know who to trust and to have them second guess or question. We need to get closer to them. And you know, from conversations that I've had, I don't think right now we have a strong a strong capability within a lot of those inner circles. And, you know, I could be wrong. I'm just telling you from the conversations that I've had. And the thing is, if there's, there's guys out there like me that are able to do it, certainly there's law enforcement and government organizations that can do it. And I'm sure that that's something they're working on, but, but knowing where to go and getting in there and, and making it harder, uh, sort of injecting, uh, deceit and injecting questionable content and making them really wonder if the people they're working with or the payloads that they're getting are, are things that they can trust is going to just be a sidestep and it's going to be a cycle, have a psychological effect that's going to cause distrust, which will hopefully lead to less ransomware attacks and things of that nature. On the other end, yeah, we need to keep doing things where we're infiltrating their wallets, taking money back, dedicating intelligence community resources, things that, that nobody else in the world has to, to figure out who the guys are behind the keyboards putting their pictures out there making sure that if they travel out of the country they know they're going to get arrested you know doing everything we can to sort of put the heat on them and to get it known that we're we're not just going to sit back anymore unfortunately there is no easy solution and this could be like the, the war on drugs we may never win it but there are things that we can do that are going to slow it down and give us at least a better chance of protecting ourselves against it if that makes sense Our
0: thanks to John DiMaggio from Analyst One for joining us. The research is titled A History of Our Evil. We'll have a link in the show notes. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. The Cyberwire Research Saturday is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brendan Karp, Eliana White, Haru Prakash, Justin Sabe, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Filecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week. Hey all, Rick here. At N2K Cyberwire, we're dedicated to continuously improving the quality of the news and commentary on our network.